Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, though they're arguably Harrison and Star, Cliff and Bobo. Cliff, Bobo, how are you doing, sir? Good man. Guess where I am? I heard you're on the East Coast somewhere, but can you dial it a little bit more specifically for me? I'm in Squatchachusetts. Squatchachusetts. Nice, nice. Yeah, oh, that's right. You have an, uh, uh, is this the weekend of your uh, expedition out there? It sure is. And I'm with, I'm with Mr. Squatchachusetts himself right now. Oh, uh, John Wilk. Yeah. Yes, sir. Right here in nice. my kitchen. <laughs> in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, it, so I, I'm, I know you had a special guest on and I knew that you were out of town. So uh, it's good to know you're safe at least because. You know, with you, Bubba, you could end up anywhere. So, but I, but I trust John, and I trust he's taking good care of you, keeping you fed uh, and slept and everything. Uh, of course, of course. And guess what else about my trip out here? What? I flew coach, and I had an empty seat next to me, both legs of the trip. So it was, and they were on time. Oh my God! It's a well, Christmas you, miracle. <laughs> it, yeah, the, the pendulum of luck has finally swung your direction. Yeah. Let's just hope it doesn't swing and hit you in the nuts at some point. <laughs> oh, it will. <laughs> eventually high pressure does come in and prevail <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the, the universe seeks equilibrium right and uh well it's about time some good stuff came your way because you have the you have the worst luck with flights that for of anybody i've ever met by oh far. i think it's more than just flights <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true traveling, traveling yes yeah the curse but i've been doing pretty good lately like this trip was unreal and then i've had like pretty smooth other trips you know like couple times lately so well, you yeah. deserve them i still get my you know typical bobs you know whatever canceled flights or double book my seat overbooked or whatever yeah yeah well you are bobo you can't shake that one wrong, wrong airport you know oh, yeah. <laughs> that happens to everybody <laughs> yeah everybody well, very good. So uh, John is our guest. John Wilk from Squatchachusetts is our guest tonight. Um, they've got a John and Bobo have a big weekend planned with the expedition out there. And I don't I, I want to hear a little bit about the area where you're planning on doing this expedition. And uh, you don't have to worry about ruining it because this won't even air until a week after the expedition. So you're safe. And we also don't want people tromping around there if they're unwelcome. So you hide whatever details you would like. But uh, lay it on us. Tell us what you're going to be doing. Well, we got about. 15 people or so going out this weekend. Um, there's been good action. This is typically the best time of the year for out here, October, November, especially November around the first snow. It seems to get really active from all the reports. We got John. John's the main guy. Then we got Tim and Eric Vogel helping out. Dave McCullough. Yeah. Beantown. Uh, Beantown Dave. We got Beantown Dave here. He's going to help do some guiding and we're going to their hot spots. Oh, fantastic. Now, now John, um, 
you called me in August because you saw one of these. You saw a Sasquatch. Is this the same general area in which you saw the creature back in August? Well, we're going to be going there one of the days. Um, I would say I was. It was a probable sighting. I would give it about a ninety-five percent chance that I saw a Sasquatch back in August up in one of the areas that we're going to hit over the weekend. Probably on Saturday, we're going to go up to that particular area. Well, if you didn't see one, you certainly paid a price for it, didn't you? Huh. Yeah. 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 Paid- well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, before, before, we, before we don't get too far ahead of ourselves, um, I know the story. I'm sure Bobo does as well, but our listeners perhaps don't. So why don't you tell us what happened to you uh, back in August when you may have seen a Sasquatch in this area? Um, I was traveling up from my, my dad's house. He had passed away this past summer, and I've been up there cleaning his house um, almost every weekend going up there dealing with all the final stuff. And whenever I drive through the Berkshires um, back down to where I live down in, in the Pioneer Valley here, I always usually take a different way because it's, it, I don't know, it's sort of nostalgic. I worked as a park ranger up in there for many years and I, you know, I grew up there. So I always take a different route. And one of, one of my uh, things that I do is I always if I'm taking my time, I'm always looking around and usually my passengers are yelling at me because I'm wandering all over the road because, you know, I'm looking for uh, stick structures or, you know, I'm always squatching. I always got Sasquatch on the brain. And um, this one road in particular, you and I had driven down a couple of years ago. Uh, you had stopped and we took a picture in front of one of the signs uh, on the road that was in this area. It was called Windigo Road. Yeah. I don't know if you remember taking that picture. Oh, I do. I do. And for sure. So th- this was about a quarter mile past where we took that picture. And I'm just following the river. And I was noting how low the water was that day because we hadn't had rain in probably about three, probably three weeks or so. We hadn't had any decent rain. So being up on top of the mountain, those are the streams that that tend to uh, get uh, low first because there's no there's nothing replenishing them. So I'm, I'm just putting along and I, I'm in my work truck because I have all kinds of furniture and stuff in the back of the truck. And I, I happen to look across the this little river in between the woods and the in the road. And I said, what the heck is that? There's this dark, dark object standing next to a tree that is bright, bright green. You know, the, the foliage up here in the summertime is is like um, it's like an emerald green. It's very intense green. All the trees are all green. Well, this this tall black object standing next to the tree, probably 200 feet away, it was just probably about eight feet tall, and it was just staring at me, and I I I could see its face, and I said, "What the heck?" I locked the brakes up. I did a Dukes of Hazard 180 in the middle of the road with my work truck. Everything went flying around. <laughs> I turned around, I pull up, and I hopped out of the truck. I ran down the hill towards into the ravine, fell down into the water, lost my flip-flop in the water. In the meantime, I'm trying to get my phone to turn on so I can start recording. So I, now I'm recording on my phone, and this guy who who is a, another squatcher out here calls me, and so I hang up on him, and I get the recording going again, and he calls me back. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, what's he doing? I'm like, stop. So I yell at him on the phone. I'm like, I'll call you back. So, so now all I can hear is in the woods, I hear bang, crash, boom, boom, smash. 
I climb up to the top of the hill and I find myself on my hands and knees covered in mud and dirt in a patch of poison ivy. <laughs> and I'm wearing shorts, one flip-flop, and a t-shirt. And off this thing took off. Whatever it was, it was long gone. And um, so now I'm I'm panicking. I'm like, I can, I'm like, oh my God, I'm covered in poison ivy. So I run back down to the river. I grab my flip-flop. I wash myself all up, trying to scrub it all off. I go back up and I, I try to follow whatever this was that took off through the woods. And it was, it was just long gone. So I, I got back to my truck and I, I have these uh, workers wipes. They're like hand wipes for, for mechanics. And I took a bath on the side of the road in those things to get the poison ivy off of me, but it was just too late. It had already kind of overcome me, you know? Yeah. Totally and it kind of right got, up. I got a call right then from John. Just, he was pretty, you could hear the excitement in his voice. He had definitely seen something. Yeah, and you know, you really took one for the team because you were <laughs> coated on the on the outside um, with poison ivy, you know, whatever oil or whatever it is, but also the inside. When I spoke to you that night, you were hoarse, that you were just practically whispering. It had gone down your esophagus, your uh, trachea. It was right? in my nose. It was in my eyes, my ears. Uh, it was awful. I ended up having to go on a, a, a really high-powered steroid for about two weeks. And uh, poor Eric at work had to listen to me every day <laughs> to com complaining and itching and scratching. The worst part was the bottom of one, my foot that I lost my flip-flop because I, I must have crushed the couple of plants or something, you know, and the oil got right into the bottom of my foot. And then it was all over the front of my knees and my, my thighs. And, it, and then obviously I touched my face, so it was all over my face and it was, it was pretty, pretty awful, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't think about it. You know, I was just trying to, you know, everyone's like, well, you never got any footage or anything. Well, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried harder I than most. managed to keep my phone from going into the water when I fell. I land, luckily I had it up in my hand and I landed on my elbow and the water wasn't <laughs> deep enough. Cause otherwise I would have lost my phone there too. Wow. It's very, very, uh, Jimmy Buffett of you, you know, step on a squatch stop and blew up. Blew out your uh, flip flop. It, I, I know, <laughs> dude. It was it was just, you know, and I couldn't believe the amount of poison ivy. It was just astronomical. Uh, <laughs> so, but this, you know, this thing, it there there was one little branch there that it was standing next to, and that branch was about nine feet tall, and I would say it was six to eight inches below that branch. So I say it was probably about eight feet tall, and it, and it had it was twice the size of the tree. The tree was probably 18 inches around, so I'd say it was at least three feet wide, and it and it was jet jet black except up near the top of what I guess you would call the head, because there was really no defined head. It was more of like a little mound over the shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't have like a defined head, but in the middle of it, it was like a, almost like a, a milk chocolate brown. So there, like, there might not have been any hair there. Maybe it was just a. It could have been a different color uh, hair, but it seemed more like it was a skin tone. And you could definitely see whatever it was had it had eyes. You know, yeah, there was yeah. def, there was def, there was enough definition there. There's no way that it was a bear. There's no way that it was um, a moose or anything like that. You know, any other species that's native to up here. Then so, what accounts for that five percent of doubt that you give it? Like ninety, you said ninety-five percent sure you saw one. Because what's that five percent? I, I, you know, I, 
didn't get a long look at it. Maybe one, two, three seconds, maybe, you know? And I, I guess I would have loved to seen its arm turn or, or its leg turn or something, you know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm pretty high probability that that's what I saw. Now, and also you heard it go through the woods. So clearly oh, it took off like a freight train smash, boom, bang. Yeah. You, you saw know. it move to them. Well, no, I when when I turned around, it had taken off. I see. So you so, just heard it going away from you. Something oh, yeah, big I made a racket turning around, you know, you know, <laughs> my big work yeah. truck in the middle of the road. Yeah. Dukes of hazards are not quiet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so uh, what I did is I marked it a couple of places. I, I had some, I paint lines for a living and the, you know, traffic lines. Mm-hmm. So I had a can of temporary traffic paint in my truck and I marked a, a bunch of spots where it was. So I marked a big arrow in the road <laughs> and, <laughs> and like a big, big yellow mark on the tree. And then I took a rock from the river and I, I, I marked it right on the side of the road. So, you know, I could come back cause the, the I just wanted to get back and take a shower and get in, you know, I ended up going right to the pharmacy and getting some poison ivy stuff. And I called my doctor who was on call. He called me in a prescription and it was two weeks of pretty, at least 10 good days of miserable poison ivy. Uh, I don't know if anybody, anybody else who has had it knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, You know, was, was it worth it? Oh, sure. I'd do it again in a heartbeat, man. (laughs) You know, cause like, you know, everybody wants to be the one that can, uh, you know, say, Hey, ha, I told you these things are real. I, I guess I would love to have some, some solid footage to back up my claim because I, you know, I took some heat from some people on, uh, when I posted it, they're like, Oh, no picture, no, no Sasquatch, you know, never happened. And I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, at least I'm yeah, well, well, just trying to make an effort, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No faith, no brains, no good argument. That's your response to that. Right. Yeah. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. So, you know, in that area has delivered all kinds of sightings over the years in the BFRO database. There's about a half a dozen sightings there that that they haven't made it onto the public database because there's just not enough info to back them up. And there's some missing stuff. So the criteria is not there for publication, but for years um, I talked to a farmer, let me see, probably about 14, 2014. There was a farmer up there who kept reporting, seeing a slender, Sasquatch looking creature watching him from while he's in his fields up there, like watching him from the tree line, you know, he turned, it would be there. He turned back and it would be gone. And there's all these stories up there at this, this Windigo road of this Windigo creature that go back, you know, at least to the fifties that I know of. So that in that area there is in Windsor state forest, which is a very, very dense, unpopulated area of the Berkshires. Yeah, I don't yeah. think a lot of people realize how much land there is for Sasquatches and other wildlife in Massachusetts. Because, you know, uh, people think of the Northeast in general as kind of like overrun. Like they, a lot of people picture it like New York City or the suburbs of New York City. Right, like really. Boston or Worcester. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, but there's a whole lot of land out there. And, and I think part of the prejudice against that part of the country comes from, well, that's where like the Europeans first settled. And, you know, that's been settled here the long or, you know, domesticated the longest, perhaps, you know, outside of the native people who lived there. Um, and there's no way they could be there. 
but uh, there's a tremendous amount of land and, and a lot of it is private land, but that doesn't mean people are on it all the time. You know, you could own 80 acres and have a house on it or something like that. Uh, there's a, there is a lot of wilderness still left in Massachusetts and the Northeast in general. Right. Well, yeah. There's more now there, like they say, there's way more forest now than in 1900 because they clear cut the whole entire state basically and farmed everywhere. But the, so many of the farms were just marginal quality that they got abandoned over time. They reverted back to forest. So there's a lot of forest here now. Yeah. Uh, New England was clear cut twice that I know of and mostly for farming, uh, for the railroad and to build all the houses in the, you know, like all these triple decker houses in, in New England, these three story houses that go up like tinderboxes, if they catch on fire, they're all old growth New England trees. And like like Bobo said, all these places, you like a couple of places I took you to when you were out here, the, the state forests, you go walking around in there and you find all these stone walls. And those were from the stones where the farmers cleared the, the fields and made these stone walls yeah. to keep their cattles in. And, uh, you find all their foundations from their old buildings because they basically realized that you can't really farm here in this area, and they gave the land back to the state. And now, you know, Savoy State Forest alone is 38,000 acres, you know, and that's mm -hmm. that's where I worked as a park ranger for many years. Uh, tell us that story about what got you into Bigfoot. Yeah, um, I'd have to back up. Let me see, what would that be, almost... 92 so it'd be 25 years ago 27 years ago um 29, 29 wow wait, wait, no, no wait, let's do some math 27. 27 so my 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 very first park ranger job was in 1986 uh, my father and mike dukakis the then governor who then turned to presidential candidate um was the governor of the state and he was over at my dad's house one day and i said hey how do i get one of those cool jobs in the state park Oh, somebody will call you. The next day I get a phone call to go get a job at the state park. I was only 16 years old. So they had a special program. They called you a summer youth worker. It was five lousy dollars an hour and you couldn't run power equipment. So you could like sell tickets or you could empty trash cans or unfortunately clean bathrooms and stuff like that. So I, I worked at this little park called Natural Bridge State Park. It was a formation of marble with a waterfall running through it i guess like one of only like 20 natural bridges in the world or something very unappealing job it was 10 acres and there was like eight of us working there so it wasn't the greatest so over a couple of summers i built up some seniority i turned 18 and i, I was able to join the union and i got sent up to my favorite park in the country savoy state forest which at the time was the second largest park in um all of Massachusetts. After a summer or two up there, I got to go on to the night shift, which is the the most desirable shift because you don't have to do a lot of labor. It's mostly taking care of the campground, making sure things are in order up there. Um, there's several areas out there because the park's so widespread, they call them day use areas like hiking spots or picnic spots. You had to patrol them at night because the kids would, the kids, I call them kids, the, the younger crowd would go up there and party, have keg parties. That's what we do here in New England. I don't know if everybody else in the country has keggers, but no, nowhere. <laughs> there's no keg never, parties. Never heard in of it. California. No. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, it was the the popular beer ball, the Jenny Cream Ale. Oh, yeah. Remember the Jenny Cream Ale beer balls? We would find those things all over the park. 
and inevitably somebody would forget to bring the tap. So you'd have to like cut yeah, the top off yeah. and dip your cup in it, you know, <laughs> but I, but I digress into my better years. <laughs> so that, you know, one of my jobs was to just drive around at least once a night and check all the areas because, you know, somebody could be vandalizing the kids used to go and they, you know what they would do? They burn the picnic tables instead of like, cutting up some firewood they just burn the picnic tables and you'd end up having like a pile of nuts and bolts in that the next morning hmm. so um i always made a loop it was about an eight eight to nine mile loop and some days i would go one way some days i'd go another way it was a couple of days in a row that i had gone to this one particular area where the trash can was was either tipped over or there was trash everywhere so i figured we had a bear or a, a raccoon problem in that area so I was driving up there this one night in this one area. It was it was either June 22nd or June 23rd, 1992. So I'd have to, I think it was the, the 22nd of June. And I was listening to the Red Sox on my AM radio in my little state truck. It was it just stormed. So, you know, you get that ozone smell in the air that mm -hmm. whenever I smell that ozone in the air, it always reminds me of this night. I pulled into this area called Tannery Falls very popular spot up there. It's a 300 foot chasm type thing that where the, during the ice age, the water had eroded through it and made these beautiful waterfalls through there. It's a nice scenic area. I pulled into the parking lot and all you can see up there is what the headlights are lighting up because there, there's no light pollution. There was clouds from the, the recent storm that passed. So there was no moon. Even when the moon's out, the mountains up there hide it for the most part. So it's, you know, when you turn the lights off, it's dark and as dark as can be, you know, close the door in a closet. That's how dark it is. So I pull into the parking lot and I see that the barrel, which is a 50 converted 55 gallon oil drum with like a little flapper lid on it. It's got the cover off and there's trash on the ground. I'm like, all right, you know, same old, same old. So I pull up to it probably about 20 feet in front of the barrel and uh, I grab a, a can liner like a trash can liner from the middle of the truck seat. As I'm exiting the truck, I got I got my hand on the door of the truck and I hear off to my left, I hear like smash, snap, snap, whatever. I look forward and out comes this creature running out of the woods, runs around the back side of the barrel, bends its knees ever so slightly, grabs the bag of trash and runs around the front of the truck and comes around the other side. When it reached the other side, I was looking over the hood from the from the driver's side to the passenger side. It turned its upper torso and made eye contact with me. And it had these amber, dark orange, amber looking eyes that sort of luminesced from the headlights. They weren't like glowing like, you know, like laser beams, uh, but they were they were lit up enough that I could tell. They were like an ambery glowing eye and its hair was flowing almost like a, like a Fabio, you know, like, like it was like, like the bows of like old, the bo like the old Bobo, you know, <laughs> but, but it was, it, I always tell everybody it was pretty looking like it almost like it was groomed, you know, like, like it. You know, like, you know, how, like Fabio in the commercials, he like throws his hair, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. That's what it, that's what it reminded me of. But it was young and you could tell like it, 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 I always refer to it when people ask me, I tell them it looked like a teenager because that's what it looked like. It looked like a, a teenager. 
and I'm I'm like paralyzed. I'm like Did you I tell sex. Uh, no, no, no. I don't. I didn't stop to ask. So, so while it runs by the truck, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, what the, f-, you know. So I go to turn to get in the truck. So now I'm facing inside of the truck, and out of the back corner of the truck, I can see the silhouette oh. from the um, the taillights of the truck. And I'm like, what the heck is that? This, whatever this was, was probably a, a foot and a half to two feet taller than this other creature. But all I saw was a silhouette. And it let out this scream that like penetrated every freaking molecule in my body. It was like this, it was like a lion gorilla scream. And I, I, I just, that flight or fight or flight syndrome kicked in, like, everything just went blank. And I remember grabbing onto the handle of the steering wheel and having to use like every bit of energy to pull myself into the truck. And it felt like it, it took me like a whole minute to get into the truck. It like time slowed down. It was like, it was, I, it, I guess that's the best way to describe it. And I remember I, I slammed the door on the truck and I, I reached over and I locked the passenger side door, you know, the little back in the old day, the, the you know, the little pull up, yeah. pull down lock, you know, and I, I grabbed the microphone on the two way radio. And one of the particular things I remember was where I, I was there. First of all, there's nobody to talk to up there. So you have to switch over to this repeater, this mountaintop repeater. When you key the mic, the radio goes, tells you that you're hitting the repeater. I key the mic and it goes like that. And I, there must've probably been 10 seconds of silence and I dropped the mic on the floor and it stopped transmitting. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to say? You know? And I'm like looking out you, cause you can't see any of them. I'm looking out the windows, you can't see anything. So I go to throw the truck into drive. I think I either stepped on the brake or threw it into drive at the same time. And something hits the back of the truck, just blam. Uh, either a piece of wood, a rock, a, a slap. I don't know what it was, but I, I threw that Dodge pickup into, into drive and I stepped on the gas and that has that posi traction. So both tires dug in and I left a rooster tail out of that parking lot. I drove probably about three to four miles with my foot on the gas pedal down those logging roads all the way back to the headquarters building. So that's, yeah, that's the gist of that. <laughs> Well, how did you break the news to your uh, fellow ranger folk? Well, I didn't talk much about it. Uh, there wasn't much said for a little while. Um, my boss was a pretty cool dude. Uh, we, we got along pretty good. He said to me one night, it was probably about two weeks later, he says to me, he says, hey, I seen your logs. You're not making your rounds. What's going on? I'm like, oh, it's been really busy up in the campground. You know, I haven't had a chance to get out and make the rounds. He goes, come on. He says, you know, you got to go out there and check these spots, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, what are, what are the chances of me going back to the day shift, you know? <laughs> and uh, he's uh, kind of looking at me kind of funny, you know? And uh, he goes, what do you mean? He goes, you're, you're the senior guy up here. He goes, what's the matter? I said, I, I don't really want to talk about it. So I remember he, he leans back in this old uh, wood chair and it, you know, creak, creak, creaks back. And he looks at me and he goes, huh? He goes, did you see something like that? And he, hmm. with all seriousness, he looks at me and I go, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. He goes, you saw it, didn't you? I said, no. I said, I saw two of them. 
And I'm like, why didn't you tell me about this stuff? You know? So he turns, he flips the chair around, opens up the bottom filing cabinet drawer, and he pulls out this file like a half an inch to three quarters thick, this manila envelope, and he hands it to, or, you know, the manila file folder things. And he hands it to me and he goes, check this out. And it's all these like handwritten notes from the past 40 years from people who have had some type of encounter, you know, of, of like, people reporting, seeing things running across the road, people um, seeing these these creatures, um, people being rousted up in their camp in the middle of the night, um, something stealing stuff out of their coolers in the middle of the night, um, all kinds of stories. And the earliest one that was in there was a photocopy from a log book. And all the state parks in Massachusetts were built in the 30s during the depression era. Uh, that there was these things called the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps. Mm -hmm. um, FDR created these to get young men back to work, to get money in their pockets. It was basically, it was run by Army Corps of Engineers. Well, I don't think it was called the Army Corps of Engineers back then, but they were Army officers who were engineers who led civilian people. So it's kind of like the Army running the Boy Scouts kind of like thing like back then. Mm -hmm. So um, in that log... It reads now. This is a this is a captain in the Army Engineers Division. It says, um, I have to paraphrase it. Um, Hal and Jim were on Bannis Road installing wooden guardrail. Saw eight foot tall ape man. Won't go back to finish guardrail. <laughs> and and this is from like 1933. You yeah. know. Yeah. And um, so there there you have it. You know. Um, if that's you know, not validation for what I went through. I don't know what is, you know, um, it, it's the, the history up there is, is so rich. Um, so I fast forward a little bit from there. So I ended up leaving the parks because uh, I, I couldn't get a full-time job. It was all seasonal stuff. I, I couldn't drive around up there at night anymore. Um, and I had met a, a woman and we were trying to start a life and I needed a, you know, to, to move on in my career. So that I kind of phased out my state park career. And then everybody was always busting on me too, you know, oh, here comes Ranger Bigfoot, you know. Sure. And hey, you seen the Sasquatch up there, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, ha, very funny, you know, ha, ha. Well, you know, it wasn't, you couldn't talk about it, things like that back then like you can now. It's a lot easier to talk about the subject, mostly because of you guys. You guys, I, I always give credit to you guys in, in the TV show you know, both Monster Quest and Finding Bigfoot for really bringing out this subject because that's how I got back into this was I'm sitting on my couch, the very couch James and I were watching TV on last night and I scrolling through and I, I see on the I'm Finding Bigfoot. I'm like, what the hell is this show, you know? And you're talking about knocks and whoops and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I know all about that, you know? And Next thing you know, I'm on the internet and Facebook and I'm finding like-minded people and, you know, you're in, kind of fast forward and here we are today, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And you gave birth to Squatchachusetts somewhere in there. Well, yeah, you know, I had met some people, some people more interesting than others, some people um, more sane, more sane yeah. than others, um, you know, uh, 
And I, I met my friend Dave, Dave McCullough, who's here having a snack in the kitchen as we speak. Bean Town. Bean Town. He's uh, got the my best, love. best Boston accent ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, us here out in Western Mass, we don't have that Boston accent, you know, and you can't fake it either because if you try to fake it, you get called out on it. So Dave and I um, made friends and, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit and it was a while that I, I, I had talked to him. And one day I'm sitting on the couch and he calls me, he says, hey, sorry, I've been I've been tied up, blah, 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 blah. He says, you want to get together, go out, hit, hit the trails again? I'm like, sure, sure. I said, you know, I was just thinking about starting a group. And I said, what do you think about Squatchachusetts? And he goes, oh, my God. He goes, that's hilarious. He goes, that's a great name. I went right to the computer. I bought the website name and I trademarked it through LegalZoom. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, we got something here. You know, this is cool, you know, and uh, it's it's more about just protecting um, somebody else from using it. You know what I mean? It wasn't a, I didn't have any like major aspirations like some other, uh, you know, people in this uh, community, you know, the, so Dave and I uh, started going out in the field a little bit. And then one day he goes, Hey, let's go to Ohio. I go, what's in Ohio? He goes, that's the biggest conference in, on the planet. And I'm like, all right. So I looked it up and it was in like a week. And I saw oh, Dave, it's all sold out. I said, well, you know what? Let's go out anyways. So we grabbed him and Dax Rushlow and we drove all night long and went out to Ohio. And that's kind of where the birth of Squatchachusetts came from. <laughs> now, I know, I know Dax. I mean, I'm assuming he drove the entire night because that guy doesn't sleep, right? No, he, w- he was drinking Red Bulls. No, monster drinks. <laughs> all 10 hours from New York to Pennsylvania to Ohio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that he's ever yeah. slept. Oh, my God. We, we rolled into Ohio, I'd say, about 7 o'clock in the morning. We walked in the lodge and walked right into Bob Gimlin, who was standing there uh, waiting to go in and have some breakfast. And that was my first chance meeting Bob. Yeah, and to this day, you guys are still close friends. You communicate quite often. And I know then when you came out to visit last year at some point, we drove out to Yakima, had lunch with them. And it yeah. was awesome. Yeah. What a, what a, you know, Bigfoot stuff aside, what an amazing guy. Oh, yeah. Um, and throw the Bigfoot stuff in. He's, he's a legend. And, you know, I like him because he's, he's a patriot. He's an, he's a true American. He's a hard worker. He's a real life cowboy. And he's a great husband. He's a great father. And he's a really good friend. And I, I talk to him on a regular basis and he's just such a great guy. And we laugh and I, I, I can't do his voice very well, but Either, when when, when no, he calls apparently up. not yeah no no <laughs> when he calls up he doesn't even have to say it's bob you know <laughs> no well you have to wonder if it's yams uh... yeah it could be yamarone calling to prank <laughs> it so you have to look at your caller idea because tom yamarone does a really good bob gimlin <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah so and then you know we met bill draginis rest his soul my good friend passed recently passed away he was such yeah. a good mentor to dave and i and, you know, setting us down the, the, the straight road of, you know, proper research and proper scientific protocol. And I actually, that's when I met you, too. We, uh, that was the same conference that I met you. Um, you had talked about Stacey Brown's uh, Florida video that uh, weekend. That was, the, okay, that was okay. a just a year. And then, uh, you know, we met all the other uh, most interesting people in, in Bigfooting. And it's funny because we didn't even have tickets to the event. So 
um, I was begging Mark DeWorth to give me tickets. And he, you know, he didn't know who we were. He didn't know anything. And he's like, oh, I can't help you. I can't help you. I'm like, here, here's some free Squatchachusetts t-shirts. Yeah, I still can't help you out. So I was actually selling <laughs> bootlegging my T-shirts up in the lobby because he wouldn't give me a table to, to sell them at. And he got mad at me because we were selling our T-shirts up in the lobby. And I want to give a shout out to our very first T-shirt sale, Henry B. May. Oh, Squatch, Squatch, of course. Very first Squatch Massachusetts T-shirt. So, Henry, awesome. if you're listening to this podcast, I want to thank you for uh, your very first purchase. And what's funny is I ended up, selling so many of them people were actually walking around the conference wearing them <laughs> at a conference we didn't even have tickets to you know now now is it was this a an andy finkel design at that point or was it no, something else back, no this was it was supposed to look like a postcard and um the uh it, it said something like visit squatchachusetts and it, oh it i've showed, seen those it shows I've seen the sasquatch those. like up on the mountain and there's a picture of a house up on the mountain where there's been some sightings. It was a failed attempt at, at uh, a flimsy marketing uh, <laughs> job, you know. Uh, I have really very poor artistic skills. And that conference is where I met Andy Finkel. And um, he's this abstract expressionist artist who, who I really uh, admire. And I say, hey, let's do some artwork together. And that's where one of our... our easily recognizable um, artworks comes from where the Sasquatch is holding the state of Massachusetts up, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, you know, we're not uh, um, a very large group, you know, just about 12 to 14 of us, but, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, knowledgeable people. Dave is like a walking encyclopedia when it comes to, to talking about Bigfoot history and sightings and he's very good with doing interviews with people and, and, you know, getting the facts out of people and getting to the bottom of something, you know, cause the first thing we ever want to do when we talk with somebody, we want to find out if we're wasting our time or not. And you, you taught me a few good things to, to, to look for and stuff. And, but Dave is really good with people. And um, I think it's his accent that people find attractive the most out of him. And in, in, in that he's a recognizable Massachusetts guy, you know, like when another person from Boston hears somebody talking like them, they're like, yeah, dude, we're brothers, man, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Do you, well, do you have another setting out there besides that first one? Did you have two settings out there at the park? Well, we had one at the park in, on the BFRO expedition. That was in 2016. Um, so I can back up a little bit. So we run into Matt Moneymaker at the, um, the White Hall. Uh, be a, uh, uh, Finding, Bigfoot. Finding Bigfoot episode. Dave and I went out there and we were in the audience and boy, I tell you, that was boring. No, no offense to you guys, but that, I don't know how you guys made it through a hundred episodes of doing those town halls. Oh, God, just, try doing them once a week. Yeah. Drag, you know, uh, the editing, you know, we, we only see what 5% of what you guys film, yes. you know, less yeah. than that. And I mean, the, some of the stories were fascinating, but other ones you're like, oh, get the hook, you know, get this guy off the stage, you know, and you guys are standing up there and you're like smiling and uh-huh. Uh -huh. So Matt, apparently Mark DeWorth went to Matt and said, hey, there's nobody covering Massachusetts. Why don't you reach out to John and everybody on that group and, and, and get them to get caught up on the 200 or so sightings that haven't been looked at through the BFRO. So overnight, Matt adds me onto the BFRO investigators um, 
page. And then I'm like, I can't handle this myself. I'm like, you gotta let, at least let Dave in. So he lets Dave in and we weren't making any progress. So we brought a few more people on board. So now there's, there's five of us here in Massachusetts that do these. So then he drops on me. He says, Hey, how about you? Um, you do an expedition. I said, geez, Matt, I, I don't feel qualified enough to do that. And he says, no, you'll do fine. And that's when I reached out to you. Cause I know you used to do some with him and you, you gave me the guidance to, Hey, listen, you know, you're just, just, just go out and be yourself and, you know, show people what you know, and, and, and take them to some of these places. And we turn out, we have, we had a really enjoyable time with these. And on our third expedition, we were, we went up to Savoy state forest. Does that ring a bell? And yeah, he's, went, he's, went up to Tannery he said, Falls. He said it several times this conversation. I know. So we went to <laughs> Tannery Falls again because everybody wanted to go to where this this sighting happened and wanted to hear the story. Well, this one particular day, I, I, I want to say it was in June again, or June or July, because it was a hot, steamy day. A thunderstorm comes ripping through, kind of sound familiar. And it poured. I mean, everybody's in rain gear, but we're still soaked to the bone. And uh I'm like, what am I going to do with these people all day? I'm like, we're soaked. It's like noontime. I'm like, well, you know what? Everybody, I said, we got another storm coming through in a little bit. I said, we're already soaked. Why don't we just stay out here? I'm going to take you up to another place that I think is interesting. And I said, just some of the things that have happened up there. I found a few interesting things up there over the years that kind of made me think they were still, these creatures were still around up there. So we uh, we go up there. There was let me see. There's probably about 16 or 17, 18 of us. A couple people didn't want to hike up in there. They were pretty tired, or they didn't want to get more wet than they already were. I, I don't understand that. Um, it's kind of hard to get more soaked, right? <laughs> so some people stay behind at the cars, and the rest of us hiked up to this area where there's this giant. They call it up here in New England. We have these things called erratics. They're boulders that can be the size of a house that are just sitting in the middle of nowhere. Basically, when the, the glaciers retreated, they left these things behind. You know, they were broken pieces of granite that were rounded and polished off by the Ice Age, and now they're just sitting. Well, this one particular rock is about the size of a trailer truck cab, you know, just the tractor part, and it's balanced yeah. on a, a piece of ledge, so they call it balanced rock. So we're up there and we're poking around. We split up. We sent some people in one direction, sent some people in another direction. I'm just like, oh, I hope the lightning doesn't strike up here, you know? So there, we had a, a young kid with us. I'd say he was about 10 or 12 years old. He was there with his dad and his other brother. And he goes, can I do a howl like Bobo? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, knock yourself out, little guy. So he lets, I have the video of it. It's it's on our Squatchachusetts page. He lets out this fantastic a howl that would make Bobo proud. And, you know, we're all like, hey, that's cool, man. You know, and about 30 seconds later, one of the guys, one of the other BFRO investigators, his name's Jeff, Jeff Shepard. He's from the other end of the state. He comes walking up to me. He says, hey, he says, I just had a wood knock over there. Do we have people over there? I said, no, no, everybody's right here now. And then the other guy goes, yeah, well, we just heard a whistle from over there. So we had a knock and a whistle from two different directions. And we're right in the middle of it. So I said, okay, hold on a minute. Maybe something's going on here. So I did a head count. I made sure everybody was accounted for. And I'm like, all right, let's um, let's split up. Let's form a little line here. You guys go this way. We'll go this way and see if we can push something around here. See if we can come up with something. So unbeknownst to me, the guy that was behind me was filming at the time. 
uh, with his little GoPro. And I, um, you can see me in the video. I got my hood up. I'm kind of kind of miserable because it's like pouring out. And I, I was just happy people were having a good time. And we're, we're all in a line left to right, probably four on each side of me. And we're kind of pushing forward into this wooded area. And I, I'm looking forward, I'd say for me, about 100 or so, 150 feet in front of me, there's a line of, we call moose maples. So it looks like a maple leaf, but it's about five times the size of a maple leaf. Um, and they're shrubs, so they're not trees. And I can see this black silhouette in there. And I, I kind of leaned to one side to get a look at it. And then it leaned to one side. And then I, I said, no, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So in the video, you see my hand come up and I start to point and run forward. All of a sudden, Eric comes running into the frame, pointing at the same thing I'm pointing at. And all you see is just the tree shake like on Jurassic Park and off whatever it was took off. And like a dummy, I took I, I go running after it, you know, and I run right into a tree. I get knocked down to the ground and Jeff Shepard had he not moved from where he was, this creature probably would have mowed him right over because he was standing over in that area. So I'm like, hold on, everybody, hold on. Everybody, come on back, come on back. And then it starts thundering and lightning. And I looked down on the ground and we have a, we have a trackway. And I said, well, oh my God. You know, we, we casted some tracks. We took some measurements. We had like these five foot strides that were right where this creature was. Um, I think you got a, a look at the cast in Ohio. I'm not sure if Tim brought it with him or not. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember I don't re seeing this particular cast. I'd love yeah. to see it at some point. Yeah, though. so it's got, you know, it's clearly defined toes, and it's got a nice heel impression in it. Oh, no, it was Meldrum that saw it. I'm sorry, Dr. Meldrum saw it. He liked it. It's messy. You know, it's not one of those nice California casts, because we have just, you know, eight to ten inches of duff on the ground here and leaf litter and stuff. So we, we don't have the nice substrates that other parts of the country have to get cast. But we had a nice fresh impression and we casted them all. One of them's a partial print with the five toes, one's a heel print, and then one's a, a combination of both. And uh, we'll, we'll make you a copy of it. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, um, it, it, it's a pretty good cast. So um, 10, 10 to 12 people got a pretty good look at at least the silhouette. The other three or four people weren't paying attention. They missed it. So, uh, but uh, in the video, all you see is the shrubs moving you know, or the bushes, the moose maples, whatever you want to call them. And it, what's ironic is as I started running forward, you hear beep, 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 and his battery goes dead on the camera. <laughs> so that's, that, that was the end of the footage, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which is typical, you know? That's pretty exciting though. I mean, that's, I guess some people call that a near miss, but a near miss implies that you actually got it. So that's a near hit. Near hit. Right, right. And um, yeah, so there's three encounters over the course of 25 years, all within a couple of miles of each other. Got to wonder if they're the same Bigfoots or not, because uh, 25 years is certainly within the lifespan of a Sasquatch. Um, it's reasonable to think so. And what about the Vogel's? They're, they're right. So um, that was uh, in the Southern Berkshires. We're going to probably go there um, on uh, Friday night. I think okay. that's the plan. Friday afternoon into the evening. Um, there's a there's a certain area up there 
in the southern Berkshires that has um, had years and years of Bigfoot sightings that have made it into the local media and stuff. And um, I haven't seen the footage. Um, I've only seen still footages of it, still pictures of it. I can't comment on it because I, I don't know enough about it, but they have some type of a, of a bipedal uh, image on one of the fleers from up there. Um, I'm sure it could use some more analyzing, but unfortunately they were using one of the low resolution, the TK units, um, and they don't have the most fantastic resolution. No. So that I, I don't know much about that one. I saw it. It's, it's, it's not going to convince anybody, but it's up. It seems to be an upright figure. That's um, when they sent someone else out to go to the same spot. It's definitely bigger. Considerably. Yeah, those T TK units are great in that they can it puts thermal technology into people's hands affordably. Right. But uh, past a certain distance, they're not yeah, much other than you can tell a mammal is you can there. Tell something's over there, right? And it's more yeah. more like a like a force protection or security thing. Like I always say to people that you know the fleers to me are are, be are the most important thing for me is to know that there's something over there and it's not like a moose or a bear or a skunk, you know? So like, if you hear something, you look, oh, it's just a squirrel. You know, you can't be like, oh yeah, we heard a squatch last night. No, you didn't. You heard a squirrel throwing nuts at you. Right. You know, you can't sit in your car with a microphone out the window and expect, you know, everything you hear to be a Sasquatch, you know? Yeah, yeah you can. <laughs> it happen. Well, it's, yeah. that's the thing is, as, as long as you don't check, then yeah, you, everything is a Bigfoot. Right. right. And, and right. but it, it, most people don't like that extra effort of finding out what it really is because damn near every time they're wrong. It's not they're a big foot at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. Squatch squatching is boring. It, it really is. The, the best part of squatching is being out there with your friends and enjoying the nature, you know, nature and the, and the hike and everything. But like sitting around squatching really is not that exciting. Um, and, you know, sometimes your imagination can get the best of you. And we always keep that. We're always ever mindful of that. You know, we don't like to plant things into people's heads, you know. Yeah, we've seen yeah. people get upset when you bring a thermal because then a clip we've got out with people are like, oh, this place is so active. This is so great. They're stuck on all the time. We got there with therms and we're like, okay, not a squatch, not a squatch. And they get upset that you can prove that it's not a squatch. Well, then they actually turn it back. I see that the Bigfoots can feel the electronics and that's why they're not here. And you ruined this spot for tonight because you brought the technology with you. Say, like, well, no, no, we didn't. We ruined like the, the fantasy world you're living in that everything is a Bigfoot because it's not. Yeah. You know, I hate to be a dick about it, but that's just the truth, you know? Destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, Everyone's like, well, if you, you know, if you had so many encounters, where's your footage and whatever? Uh, I wish I had the time to dedicate to it. You know, I, I, I run a company. I, I'm, I'm very busy with stuff. And, you know, if I'm, I, I like to get into the woods at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. Now, this time of the year, I can get out there almost every night. But, you know, these, these encounters happen so fast and so quick. You, you have to literally be on, on like a hair trigger alert to be able to, to, to catch these. And I'm learning that, you know, have your camera ready, have your recorder running all the time. The minute you get there, run your recorder, you know, um, and, and keep your journals. And I always, you know, whenever we meet a new witness or something, I'm like, keep a journal because you know, your mind is infallible. You're going to forget stuff. And, 
And um, what I'm looking for is the patterns. So, you know, I go out, if I document for the night, if my only document is um, unremarkable, you know, that, all right, so I know this date, it was unremarkable. There's nothing to say about it. But if I say this date, well, heard a possible woodknock, a possible howl. Okay, well, every November, I'm hearing woodknocks and howls in this location. Well, maybe next November, I'm going to step it up a little bit more over here, you know? And right. it, and like we've you, you and I have always said it, you know, these reports, these old reports and sightings and stuff, they're stories and raw data. So what you do with them, it, you know, I, I love talking to witnesses because I can tell if they're legit, well, I, that, that's, no, that's a, that's an assumption. I can, I can feel like I can trust them a little bit more because of things that they tell me that I already know, you know, like I've seen these or I've interacted, you know, I've seen these creatures. I, I know that they're there. And if somebody tells me something that doesn't quite ring a bell, I'm like, well, all right, man, you know, there's a red flag or something. Or if somebody tells me, Hey, you ever hear of anything up at Tannery Falls? I'd be like, oh yeah, tell me, tell me a story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just I really enjoy it. Um, I'm not out to, um, you know, take it much farther than I have here because where where do I go with this? You know, I just keep on plugging away and hopefully someday um, we'll ha- we'll have the the imp- that that hard evidence so the rest of the people out there will recognize that these creatures are out there and they're real. And then, then that's when I want to come in hardcore and be the guy that can protect them, like be the guy to go to the politicians and write the legislation to protect these creatures. Because if somebody harvests one of these or runs someone over with a car or something, every university, every dingbat on the planet is going to want to harvest one of these things. And that's going to be the end of it. And harvest is the wrong word. Murder. Murder. Okay, murder. All right. I'll, all right. I'll go with that. I will kill kill yeah kill you know um accidents happen i mean if something you know if it gets run over you know i mean it that would be a tragedy but if somebody went out there and actively murdered one of these things just so a university could have one i i i wouldn't want to be a part of that i want to be a part of the conservation i want to be a part of the of the protection of these creatures because I, I know they're intelligent. They outsmart me on a regular basis. Now I'm not saying that I'm a, my IQ is over, you know, 120 here, but I, I feel like no I'm one's a, saying that. <laughs> nobody's saying that. <laughs> Anybody want to call in and help me out here? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I tend to think I have a pretty good grasp of the, of the wilderness out there, but they always manage to, you know, they know I'm, I'm there before I get out of the car. Well, you've had a lot of interaction just here at your house. Cause this is what I tell people I've heard of in Mass. Like when people are saying, why are you going to Massachusetts to do an expedition? I'm like, I heard one sitting with DeWorth here. We got an Ohio how and a knock right outside his backyard in the wood line. And I think, didn't we get a slap on the house that night? Yeah, we got a slap on the house later that night. And so John's had a lot of like, yeah, going to that a little bit about yeah, that cat's out of the bag, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, well, they're not around now. So. Yeah. There hasn't had anything happen here in a long time. Uh, oh, God. It's, been, that, like, it's been years when since. When did it start? Um, well, it started when I started doing wood knocks in the backyard. And um, the, uh, you know, you do a wood knock and you hear a wood knock back. And I'm like, all right, that's not an echo, you know? And then in the middle of the night, you hear these howls and you hear, so I'm like, I'm like, eh, there might be something to this. So I started poking around out in the backwoods and, 
finding all of these little, some people call them stick structures. Cliff calls them imaginary objects. Yeah, um, well, yeah. I, 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 to walk that back because <laughs> just because <laughs> I'm not sure that they do it doesn't mean I'm not open to it. I'm just not convinced. Fair enough. Okay. There's a big that difference. Was, that was a cheap shot. I'm sorry. It's all right. It's right. Take We're it. all friends here. Take, yeah, take <laughs> it. So I'm finding all of these these glyphs or what, however you want to, and and I'm like, what are these things? What are who's building these things? You know. So, um, you know, I'm re I started reading books because that's what you told me to do. You're like, read the books. So you see my small collection. I, I don't have anything compared to you two. Actually, I think. Both of you have some of my collection now. <laughs> <laughs> so Cliff's like, hey, where are these two books from? <laughs> oh, yeah, so, you, you come across some great stuff. Yeah, so, you know, and, and Mark DeWirth was good about pointing me into the, into the right books, too, because, you know, there's so many people that have come before any of us who have dedicated their life to this research and, and their careers for that much. And they're very knowledgeable people, and there's some great books out there. And there's so much knowledge out there. You told me, you're like, what? this is where you need to be, um, you know, starting from. And that's what I did. I, so I'm reading these books about habitat and interaction. So I started, that's where I, I started. So then I said, well, I'm going to start leaving some stuff out, you know? So I started leaving apples out and at this one particular spot and the apples would be gone. Well, that's not very scientific because I mean, there's, there's 25 different creatures out here that could have eaten the apples. So um, I started leaving stuff in a little silver tray, like those foil, you know, those re those throwaway foil roasting pans, you know? Yeah, yeah. At a specific place where there was one of these stick structures, probably about um, 250 feet from the property line from where I live. And one day, one of my workers with me, we walked out there in, in, towards the end of the evening or beginning of the evening, and we left a whole bag right from the grocery store of apples out there. <clears throat> So I took one out, I held it up in the air and I said, oh, I did a bobo. I'm like, this is for you, Sasquatch, you know, friend, blah, blah, blah. I put it, I took a bite out of it. I put it down in the tray and I took the rest of the bag and I wrapped it up and put it in the tray. So my, my guy, my employee comes in the next morning and I said, hey, let's go check on the apples. So we go down there and the tray's there, but there's only two apples left and they're re-wrapped up in the bag. And the bag was spun so tight, like the apples were practically popping out of the bag. And, you know, another amateur mistake I made, I didn't save the bag. You know, I didn't protect the bag. I mean, the bag was already contaminated with my stuff. You know, I touched the bag already anyways, but there might have been some fingerprints on there. There might have been something. Uh, but we were both taken back by the fact that there was two of us there. The day before and there was two apples left behind so you know you could come to a, a weak conclusion that we were being watched and it basically took what it wanted and left one each for us you know i mean that's a pretty pretty far stretch but um that's the well, way if, I that, if this were an isolated event that would be a stretch but things like that happen like where where people go out and they leave a pile of apples and then however many and when they come back uh however many people there were the, those same apples the same number of apples are there really or, yeah Other yeah absolutely that, i have never heard of anyone else having that happen yeah and sasquatches are are i mean if bigfoots are responsible for this like they seem to be 
um, very often they'll leave some for you. Whatever you give to them, they'll leave some for you, which I just find fascinating uh, because my dog doesn't do that. You know, so it, 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 my dog loves me too, and but like it, it won't leave me any of the pie that falls on the ground. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I think that kind of gives us some sort of insight um, into us in a way, just like uh, primatologists tend to study the other great apes to learn about human behaviors as well as the ape behaviors. Well, this is a really good example of that. It's kind of a um, just a glimpse, possibly, possibly a glimpse into the roots of compassion, for example, you know, or or something like that. I, maybe I'm not right. Maybe perhaps using the right words for this, but I think that gives us a little bit of insight into the origins of some of our own behaviors. Because if Sasquatches show that behavior and we show that behavior, then almost certainly our last common ancestor had that same behavior. And I think that is cool. Yeah, good point. So what's going on at the museum, Cliff? Oh, lots of stuff, really. Uh, we're, uh, we got a guy who works for an electronics store nearby. He's donating a ton of lights to us. So um, the whole mood of the museum is going to be changing over the next few weeks um, from happy and well-lit to uh, even happier and not well-lit. Because, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, our, our displays are basically on um, these beautiful, unfinished four-by-eight pieces of cedar. You know, they're not, they're not plywood, you know, they're like beautiful, unfinished cedar, oh, right? Cool. And yeah. yeah, then all the casts and write-ups and stuff are all on those things. So what we're going to be doing with these things now is we're, we're um, today, actually, I have to go in just after I get done with the podcast. Um, we are uh, extending light poles out from the top of these eight inch or these eight foot tall cedar plank th sort of things and show, and the lights are going to be putting, uh, are going to be shining back down on the display. So kind of backwards at itself. And that way we can turn off the fluorescent lights in the room. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, the, the light that will be um, illuminating all of the displays um, is going to be the only light in the room. And everything above that eight-foot level is going to be you know, kind of disappearing off into the dark, um, kind of uh, in the hopes of simulating the feel of a forest at night. Uh, oh. We have like 16. I think, it's, I think our ceilings are 16 foot in there. So it's going to be pretty cool. And then, of course, one of our walls up there is white. So we're going to be using that as a, a display board or like a, a screen, a display screen. And we have a digital projector that's going to be um, showing slideshows and photographs and whatever else on that. And that's above the eight-foot level. So that's going to give a whole multimedia aspect to the museum. Um, and other than that, I guess the big news uh, for this month is uh, on November 21st, um, which is, I guess, two weeks from tomorrow, because we're doing on the you know, the sixth today or something, um, which is a Thursday night. Um, we at the North American Bigfoot Center are hosting Dr. Jeff Meldrum. So oh, uh, I just Jeff, saw that post. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff is coming through town. He's going on. Uh, he's going to go do the Sasquatch Summit in Ocean Shores. Um, but on his way through town on Thursday, he's going to drop by the museum in the evening time with Brandon Tennant from Sasquatch Prints. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and um, Jeff is going to be available for people to hang out with and do a book signing and kind of hobnob with in general. Um, it's going to be a special ticketed event. The museum closes at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're going to be closed for an hour. And then at 6, um, we're going to open back up just for ticket holders. Um, so between 6 and 7, 
the exhibit halls will be free for ticket holders and tickets are 25 bucks, you know, so uh, and for that $25 ticket, people get full access to the museum for an hour with Dr. Jeff Meldrum there to ask questions of uh, book signing and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, at 730, so six to seven, you're in the museum with Jeff. And then at 7.30, we're going to go across the parking lot to the pizza place because Nuts on Sports Pizza, um, the name of the pizza place in our same complex there, has a private room upstairs that holds, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They have a big screen TV on one side of the room. And uh, Jeff is going to give a special presentation that night for about an hour to this small group of 40 individuals who buy tickets. That's a treat. Yeah, that's a treat. Dude, I want to do that. Well, come on up. Fly out. Fly out. Well, the 21st, you're welcome to do it. I think that's, that's what night is that? It's a Saturday, you said? No, it's a Thursday night. I think that's when I'm going out with Bart for four nights. Ah, well, come up here. <laughs> I'd love to see Bart. Yeah, so anyway, that's the special thing. And I just put tickets on sale today. They've already started selling. Um, I don't think it's going to be available for very long. So by the time people hear this, it may already be sold out, unfortunately. But um, I guess that's a good reason to frequent our social media pages. Yeah, that's a shameless yeah. plug. Dude, that's, <laughs> yeah, no it is. It's total shameless plug. There's no shameless podcast at all. <laughs> Speaking of shameless, I just did that talking head spot for that TV show. <laughs> what a mistake that was. Really? I mean, they were nice, but the problem was, was they kind of had a script written already, and I, I remember like... Wait, has the check cleared yet? No. no. Okay. But, um... I it will was, by the time this comes out. <laughs> I told the guy, I'm like, they're like, tell me what to say. And I'm like, <clears throat> I kept having trouble. And I'm like, I just go, dude, I've never, I, go, I just had this instinctual thing when they, whenever the network gave me anything to read or say, say this, I just wouldn't. I just talk shit. I just say whatever I thought of. Never, I would never say what they said, even when if it made sense. I'd be like, no, nah, I'm not going to say that. So it just didn't work. And then, what the the way the show goes is that on some of the ones you're the expert and the other like you get someone sets up someone does the setup and takes the point of view like the wrong point of view then someone comes in and like cleans it up at the end and goes oh this is what it really is and I didn't realize that I was gonna be the dummy sometimes <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I should have known that but yeah so like there were some like I told you there are old videos that we've seen like in the Bigfoot community we've totally dissected and gone over and I went over a couple with you because I knew about them beforehand, what we were going to be talking about. Well, see, you had background knowledge on all this. Yeah, I had stuff you already knew about. I had background knowledge of most of these videos, and I wasn't allowed to, as I had to act like I'd never seen the video before in my life, you know, like it was all brand new. And a couple of them, like I knew what the resolution of the video was, like what, what the final answer was, but I had to play the part of like the dummy that goes, I think it's probably this, and like, I don't want to say it. Like, you don't got to say what you don't want to say. Like, like, they were super nice, and they were saying, if you don't want to say it, you don't have to say it. And they'd say, well, can you say it? And they'd change, like, an inflection of one of the ahs or something. Can you say da 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 They'd be like, oh, dude, I'm a, I, okay, I look like a jackass on TV plenty of times. But at least it was, like, it was me in control, like, not being forced to look like a total jackass. Mm-hmm. Well, TV, you may have noticed, is a shallow and superficial medium. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, we were very, very lucky on Finding Bigfoot that we kind of had a lot more control than most cast members do over their own sheet or their own show. You know, they didn't ask us to lie. They didn't ask us to, you know, look 
you know, straight out foolish by saying some jackass thing. They didn't ask us to endorse things that we didn't think was were real. Not, you know? after, not after season one. No, not after season one. Yeah, we kind of set them straight in some ways. You know, we were very, very lucky in that way. Most shows, you know, I mean, I can't say all because, I mean, I don't know that, but uh, damn near all of them, they'll, they'll, you have to sell your soul to be on them, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what everyone says, and that's my experience. Everyone I talk to that works in the industry. Yeah, they won't say that when they're actually getting employed, but afterwards they might. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, I can't believe that more bad stuff about us didn't leak out. <laughs> well, let's just hope it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like any gigs coming up? No, this weekend we're going to have a great time here in oh, Massachusetts, yeah. man. Yeah, we got the expedition going for the next four days. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. There's been good action there around the, the, uh, camp where we're going to be based out of. Now, is this something conference. you want to do every year? Cause, uh, can people like look forward to this maybe next fall? I oh, think, yeah. I think you should be doing these every month in different parts of the country. That's the plan. Well, I think I'm going to do a, I got a lot of interest from families, but it's this time of year. It's, it's the worst, the weather, the, the worst it is to have little kids there. So I want to come back when the weather's better and do another one. And, you know, that families bring kids and that sort of thing. And then I'm looking to do Bobo's uh, Bigfoot tours on the road. I've been talking to a few different people about this, you know, late spring, early summer, because Bluff's so snowed in most of the time, you know, till you know, into the summer. So doing tours out Bluff Creek and the PG film site and all those spots out there, uh, that's, that's where people want to go when they come out to my zone where I live. So I figured, well, I'll bring the tours to them. So go to the great spots around the country that are, you know, that time of year is good action in the spring, early summer. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's all, there's all kinds of places around the country that have their, their peak season. And most places it seems to be fall or summer, but there's other places, you know, where it's winter, spring is the hot spot time. So that's what I'm going to try to go to those spots then. And it's hard though to balance out like where exactly to go, like how far people are going to travel, like, you know, people are you gonna you got people flying in or is it just people driving? Like where's the main where's the main population centers these people are gonna be coming from? Because you wanna make it, you know, accessible and not a total pain in the ass. Well, I try to make it simple for me, you know, when I do my expeditions and people are coming from like New Jersey and Texas and Colorado and Alaska. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, Alaska. So people have been flying into this situation here in Mountain Hood National Forest, which is cool. Um but yeah, I, I, but you also have a good idea. Just take it on tour. You know, it's like like the BFRO stuff. They do it all over the country. Um, but of Love course, it. that's a bunch of different people running it in a place that's easy for them. For you, you'd have to fly there and do all that sort of stuff. Well, I'm thinking of just taking my truck and trailer and driving around doing like a mobile around the country, you know, like maybe six or seven and, and keep them small, you know, like not not BFRO, like where there's 90 people. Keep it Keep it down manageable, less than 20. Right. Well, I find that, that for for my expeditions, that's part of the success of them, I think, is that I limit the number of people that can come to 10 or 12, depending on the situation. Right. Yeah, that, that way they uh, can give everybody the amount of attention they deserve. Um, I'm always accessible to all of them. Um, and there's also manageable number of teams for one particular area. Because, uh, God, right. I can't imagine. I mean, if I had like 25 or 30 people, it'd be like running a classroom out in the it, woods. It's hard. Yeah, it's very hard. Yeah, I kept this one at um, 15. Yeah, so. that's doable. That's doable because you have a lot of helpers too. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you don't want to get too many because then, then it turns into when you got 
I mean, those ones were, I think one of them we had 96 or 97 people. Oh, God. And it was like, was that you that just knocked? Who was it that knocked? Did someone yell over there? You know, like it was, you couldn't even keep track oh, of yeah, it. Yeah, tripping over each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the small expeditions are the way to go. I really do, just for the, 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 the management of it all. You know, it's classroom well, management stuff. I'd love to keep it down to four people, but then you can't afford it. People don't want to pay what that would cost, you know? Well, yeah, and I think uh, too the few expenses it, are high. Yeah, yeah, expenses are high. People don't realize that because you're getting permits and you're getting feeding them and all that stuff. But uh, also on top of that, um, four people really limits your ability to get out there and cast that net of ears, as MoneyMaker calls it. You right. know, you got to cover a lot of land just to see where the Bigfoots might be, so you might be able to focus in on those areas. Right. That's yeah, true. Two or four people or something like that. I mean, they get all the attention you want, but you'd like it to be more about the Bigfoots instead of just storytelling and hanging out with the Bobes, you know? But if that's what they want to do, we can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That That, that is also available because, you know, <laughs> as John said earlier in this conversation, you know, Bigfooting is kind of really about hanging out with your friends in the woods and maybe the Bigfoots will show up. Uh, that is, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously the high point of all that is when something actually happens, but it's it's not all that often that something really well except for your expeditions man those are the most consistent ones i've been around where there's something happens every time or most every not every time but almost every time at some well point. yeah that first year we we really did a we yeah we just got lucky that first year we had, we were five for five for expeditions at least one person heard a probable sasquatch on each one and of course daylight sightings and the footprints and all that stuff we had we were very very lucky that first year second year i only did two Meldrum's trip was a bust, man. We didn't get anything. I mean, a couple maybe stuff, but nothing I would say is absolutely a Bigfoot. And then you heard some stuff on the one that we did with you. Yeah. But yeah, the first year was great. Second year was about, you know, about what you, we should expect for Bigfoot. But Right, right. Yeah. I just put in the application for this coming summer. I don't know the dates for those yet, but I'll be running a couple trips this summer if my schedule works out. But I had to put the... Um, I had to put the uh, application in anyway. It was due by November 1st. Do you offer like a AAA discount or anything like that? Uh, you can bring whatever kind of batteries you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, you totally burned me on that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm toying around no, with maybe a coupon for you one time. You declined that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm toying around with possibly doing a uh, trip in the Sayuslaw National Forest this year as well. Yeah, um, we've but, been out there. That's terrific out there. Oh, my God. It's just a jungle. And the Sayuslaw, for people who don't live in Oregon, it's the coast range um, outside of, uh, you know, Salem, basically southwest of uh, Portland. But, yeah, they're not I mean, a lot of private land and not a lot of people out there. And it is a just a, a it's a rainforest. It's a yeah. impenetrable jungle. Out we, there. we went out. We went out there for when we were out for Beachfoot. We broke free of that. Dave and I. It was myself, Dave, uh, Esteban Sarmiento, Doctor Sarmiento, and a couple other people, and we went deep out there, and we were way up in the woods. And uh, Doctor Sarmiento let out without telling anybody. Let out like a 15 second gorilla mating call <laughs> in the middle of the <laughs> woods the most terrifying thing i've ever heard and then uh, he's, he's, he just gave a little chuckle he goes how'd you like that you know and i could just picture somebody about a half a mile away camping or sitting out on their porch hearing that you know it was it was pretty wild but that that i think that's a great place to go out there 
That little town of Yahats is pretty cool too. Yeah, and it's a great place to run an expedition because uh, number one, there's so few people out there. Uh, number two, not a lot of reports come out there. But it turns out that's not because there's not a lot of Bigfoots. It's the people. It's kind of like Bigfooting in well, well, the it's like it's like the people in Maine. You know, you don't hear a lot of Bigfoot reports out of Maine because the people are so insular. They don't want to tell the outsiders. You know, that's why they live up in the corner of the country like that. And the right. Coast Range is a lot like that too. Um, when Bobo and I did that job at the Chinook Casino. Uh, we got dozens of reports that nobody had ever reported to anybody before just because they recognized us for the show and they wanted to share what they knew about it. But they, they would say, they don't tell anybody where this is. And, and like when they told us, it was like right up the road. It was like on the highway, like on public land, no big deal, on the side of the road. It's like, why would, who cares what you saw on the side of the road? It's not like your property or something. But they're all protective about the, where they live. They don't want people to know about it. So the Sayus law is just fantastic because a lot of stuff happens. Nobody hears about it and almost nobody is working it, which is great. You know, Peter Byrne lives down there. He lives in like Pacific City or something like that down there on the coast. He follows up on some reports and stuff. And there's a few of his friends that do stuff along with them, but they're not out there like what, what we do. They're not out there in the woods, you know, three or four nights in a row until three in the morning walking around to see what comes their way. Just not a lot of people are out there doing it. There's just a handful at most. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we got to get those two Native American guys on here. I forgot their names, but they've been researching Bigfoot out there on the coast there for 40 years. They got a ton of stuff. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, they said they'd do it. God, I got to. Yeah. We, what are we wasting our time on John for? Let's get those guys. <laughs> John's low hanging fruit. You're hanging out of his house <laughs> this weekend. That's all right. At least I'm a fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Better that than a vegetable, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves fruit. <laughs> well, cool. I think we're going to do some scouting for the coming up expedition. All right, man. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you both, uh, especially really at once. Happy. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. I don't, you know, I get a lot of uh, people that want me to do these, and um, I, I'm like, no, I'm saving myself for Cliff and Bobo. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that you've been wasted on us, yeah. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you giving me the honor. You know, we're just a little group out here trying to plug away, and we're really enjoying ourselves. I'm thankful that I crossed S with Dave and and um, all the other guys out here, Tim and Eric and Kathy and Mike and and Josh. We're we're such a great little fun group to be out with, and you know what? Uh, it's hard to say that to anybody that will ever. Uh, come up with anything more solid than um, anybody else, but at least we're, you know, we're trying and we're having it, we're enjoying ourselves. And that's the point, right? I mean, people go for a walk, not for the destination, but for the journey, you know, you go for a walk, you always end up back home. So it can't be the destination. So yep. Yep. Bigfoot's okay. the same way. Do it because you enjoy it. I want to, I want to, I want people to get a taste of uh bean town days. Say the Sasquatch parked the car by the harbor. The Sasquatch parked the car by the harbor. Hi, <laughs> right, Cliff. Hey, how you doing, man? It's good to hear you. Good, thanks. You too. Nice. Well, all right, kids, man. You go out and go, go get them in the woods. Have fun, and uh, good luck on your expedition this weekend. All right, thanks, Cliff. Thanks, Cliff. Hey, Dave, do us a favor. Tell, tell our audience to keep it squatchy. Keep it squatchy up here in New England. <laughs> All right. keep it squatchy you heard him guys we'll, hear, we'll talk to you next week bye everybody right. take care
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 